On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. A nice diversity um, of different stories, which means it should be a fun uh, panel about uh, going into our newspapers. Uh, let's start with the Irish Mail on Sunday. Uh, Bertie, Fianna Fáil would tame Sinn Féin in power. It, it begins, everyone, mark it down, 2nd of April 2023, it begins. Three-time Taoiseach Bertie Ahern, recently returned to the Fianna Fáil fold, has said his party should remain open to the possibility of entering a coalition as Sinn Féin's junior partner after the next election. And the controversial former Premier believes that being in government would soften the revolutionary zeal of the party founded as the provisional, as the political arm rather, of the provisional IRA. In an interview with Tommy Gorman, Orti's former Northern editor, ahead of the 25th anniversary of Good Friday, um, Mr. Hearn says that based on current trends, he expects Sinn Féin to be returned as the largest party in the state, perhaps five points or more ahead of its nearest challenger. Uh, the Taoiseach and Fine Gael leader, Leo Varadkar, has definitively stated he would resign from the party rather than enter coalition with Sinn Féin. However, Mr. Hearn, who is known for his political pragmatism, said that he would keep his options open. Uh, we might talk about that, I suspect, uh, in a couple of minutes' time. Uh, the front page of the business post mammoth task as McGrath moves on new 15% corporate tax rate uh, Michael McGrath is to bring a memo to cabinet this week to implement the new global corporate tax rate of 15% in Ireland um, stating, starting what one finance official has described as a mammoth undertaking so he is bringing a memo to Cabinet on Tuesday, which will inform his government colleagues that a qualified domestic minimum top-up tax, uh, QD, uh, for the tax nerds among you, uh, will be applied to large multinationals with bases here in order to achieve the required 15% tax rate. So that means in principle, the 12.5% rate will remain for all companies, but multinationals with a turnover of 750 million or more will be hit with that additional top-up tax to bring them to 15%, which of course was agreed under that OEC deal uh, a number of years ago. Um, also on the front page of the Business Post, which is um, important news for me uh, with my Eroctus Press Gallery hat on, and Gabby Gadafiskita is looking at me going, I want a seat for this. Um, Eroctus authorities are putting in place plans for a joint address by Joe Biden, the US President, to the Dáil and Shannon. Uh, the chambers will both be in a recess for a two-week Easter break during Joe Biden's visit, but TDs and senators are keen to recall the houses if he agrees to give a speech, and if he did, he'd be following in the footsteps of other US presidents such as John F. Kennedy and Ronald Reagan. Uh, Sean O'Friel, the Count Corla, got the go-ahead from TDs last week to facilitate a joint address if the president requests one during his visit. Um, the Sunday Independent. Uh, two stories on the front page. Firstly, um, booze ban could be extended to all army barracks. Alcohol could be banned entirely from all army barracks, part of the response to a damning report into the culture of the Defence Forces. The government is putting pressure on senior military figures to extend the ban on alcohol consumption during deployments to Lebanon and uh, to all barracks in the state as the Defence Forces finalises its own internal review. Nobody is talking about the role of alcohol in all of this, said a government source this weekend. It was rightly banned in Lebanon and it may be banned in barracks as well. And the other story in the front page of the Sunday Independent, which we'll probably come back to in just a minute. The public is almost evenly divided on ending the no-fault evictions ban, with property owners largely in favour of the move, according to a Sunday Independent Ireland Thinks opinion poll. As a significant crowd gathered in Dublin yesterday to protest the end of the ban, the poll found 40% in favour and 45% against the controversial government decision, with 15% unsure. Again, uh, striking that there is such... um, almost equal division among the Irish population just given that one would presume that so many were opposed to what's going on Uh, and finally for now the Sunday Times 
one in four young Irish uneducated on the Troubles. A quarter of young people in Ireland admit to not knowing key events of the Troubles, according to a poll for the Sunday Times released ahead of the 20th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. The survey also found that Irish people under 35 were more likely to attribute the majority of the killings during the conflict to the British Army as opposed to the Irish Republican Army. Young people are learning about the Troubles on social media instead of school. Only 7% said they received most of their information in the classroom. And reacting to the poll by the Sunday Times, both Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin uh, criticised attempts to rewrite history. Uh, you can imagine how long that conversation would get if we went uh, anywhere near it. And maybe that's something that we might park for for this week at least, although we might get into it uh, a little bit more. As I said, Gabby Gadafitskita, um, political reporter with the Irish Independent, uh, is with me in studio, as is Tanya Ward, who's the chief executive of the Children's Rights Alliance. Um, thank you both very much for coming in. Um, we'll probably have to start with the... Um, the housing situation and there's obviously quite a lot of it and we've heard from Wayne Stanley saying that that it's going to be a while before we see the full impact of it Um, but Gabby I mentioned the opinion poll and again I just find it very striking that there are so many people who have not been heard much of uh, of late who are in favour of what the government is doing. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see the findings of that Sunday Independent Ireland Thinks poll. Um, just to give a little bit of, of context here, listeners. So housing is up by 13 points in a month as a matter of greatest concern to the public. It currently stands at 68%. 40% agree with the ban ending. 45% disagree. But just break it down a little bit. So 51% who own their own home outright agree with lifting the ban. And 45% who own a mortgaged home agree but nearly two thirds of people who rent privately and just short of three quarters of those who live rent free with their parents disagree with lifting the ban. I mean Mm. that's as clear and as stark as it possibly can be. I think it's interesting to see how the eviction ban has played out in the past couple of weeks you know, even in a political sense, we had that Sinn Féin motion that we knew was non-legally binding. We knew, you know, win, lose or draw on the doll wouldn't make a big difference, but it kept the pressure on the government. Then this week we saw that Sinn Féin legislation, which arguably you could say if Sinn Féin were very serious about actually trying to overturn the ban, perhaps they should have started off with the legislation as opposed to starting off with the motion. We had the Labour motion of no confidence that really was, I think, badly timed some commentators will say um, do you think it was was it badly timed surely the week that the government is making a decision as, as monumental as this is the week to, to test the government's command of the door yes but the point is made in the Sunday papers that it just reaffirmed the government the confidence that the government actually has and the strength of the government like not only did it win the motion of no confidence but it won that motion to overturn the ban and it and it, the Sinn Féin legislation on the eviction ban also didn't pass so if anything now we've got three the whole votes that just reaffirm <laughs> mm. confidence in the government. Yeah, confident each time. Uh, what I find very striking about all this, uh, Tanya Warden, good morning to you. Um, there's also a question as to when should the evictions ban be lifted? And as Gabby's mentioned, um, 45% are opposed to it right now and 40% in favour. And yet 44% of people say that it should be lifted when the housing crisis is sufficiently resolved. Um, which suggests that there's quite a few people who are in favour of the lifting of the ban who think that now is a time when it has broadly been resolved, which I'd find very difficult to square. Yeah, or, you know, I, I, I often think as well, uh, some, some of the reasons why people are, are selling up, and I know this just from, from personal context, they think Sinn Féin will be in government next term round, so they want to sell their house before Sinn Féin comes in. Um, really? But so do they, do they the, think that, that there's going to be such a revolution on the doorsteps that they need uh, to get know, rid of the property know, people now? People think lots of different things really in relation to this. And look, uh, on, on, on an individual scale, you can imagine you might have one property 
Uh, you probably bought it during uh, the boom. It's probably a negative equity. Mm. It's a noose around your neck. You know, this yeah. is an ongoing thing. You probably uh, want and, to, and, it, and the interest rates are gone up. Yeah, so your tracker is now crucifying you. And, in, yeah. in the background. So it, it, it is a very complicated issue really to resolve. And I do feel very sorry for people. And it was named, I think, in the, by the government during the week. There's people trying to come back and they can't come back because of the eviction ban. But I'm deeply concerned about the, 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 the eviction, the end of the eviction ban, because it's the only thing that worked to dent the homeless figures. And you heard from Wayne there, yeah. all the extra beds are, are being used up already. And the question is, is what's going to happen next? Because mm. I think there is going to be a wave of evictions for a whole different a range of different reasons. And the other thing that's coming up in, in the coverage from the, the Sunday papers is about well, what's happening in response to that. Unfortunately, the institutional investors are still there. They're still in the background. Um, the Business Post is talking about them. They're buying up. They're, they're, they're buying up uh, and bidding against first time buyers for, for some properties as well. And one of the things that really stuck out for me, um, I had no idea that um, BAE Systems, big British arms dealer, is one of the big owners of their pension scheme, is one of the big owners of, of, of uh, so of housing in Ireland and Fingal County Council was going to try and, and, and rent some of them unknowingly mm. from, from a big a, a, a company that is implicated in a complaint to the International Criminal Court. I mean, it's it, it's a very difficult wow. system. I mean, on, honestly, you <laughs> like, couldn't, you that, couldn't that, make it That's where we are. That's like, where we are. You're, you're renting properties from alleged war yeah, criminals. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, I mean, that that's the kind of situation <sighs> that we're operating in. I mean, I think the key is focusing on solutions. I would have kept the eviction ban for some time. The Attorney General advised the government they could do that. They had the conditions mm. to keep the eviction ban for, for, for some time yeah. um, to try and get some more housing uh, on stream. But I think they're relying, again, too much on the private investor to try and resolve this. Um, they need to get building houses themselves. They need to get a company, establish a company, uh, start, you know, don't wait until you have a public body established. Actually go and try and get some of the best talented people in building construction and planning and get them building on, on public land until they move towards that they're not going to generate the numbers that they need um, Gary I don't know where to go from that just, I'm still kind of dumbstruck by the question of um, allegedly having to um, rent properties from alleged war criminals because such is the paucity of uh, demand um, there is there's well, there's okay. allegations against well, them sorry, allegations, allegations yeah, yeah, sorry, but, alleged, uh, sorry yeah, yeah, everything yeah, is yeah. alleged and sorry I, yeah. I should of course stress that um, there, there's a whole whack of, of housing coverage of course across all the papers what jumped out for you this morning there's a couple of things I mean Killian Woods uh, has an interesting report on construction and how it has slowed uh, this March compared to last March's figures he's reporting the business post that construction um, I think in March was 3,500 houses so the construction of those houses began in March but this is 20% less than last year and we kind of were expecting that Uh-oh. a little bit because we have heard of the commencement yeah. figures of being mm. um, low. We've also heard builders expressing concerns over um, you know what there might not be enough planning permissions to, to go around to actually you know activate them and build mm. houses. We do know that there's a lot of planning permissions I think about 80,000 that are unactivated yeah. because of viability issues. Hugh uh, Connell, And I suppose the viability is, is an important point as well because with yeah. the way construction inflation has gone in the last 12 months it's understandable that there's fewer sods being turned now than, mm-hmm. than a year ago but nonetheless it's it's not the progress we're looking for is it? Yeah look it's 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 an issue and I think it's interesting to, to see housing because I've been reporting on housing for a very long time and it's interesting to see how much focus it is getting right now because during covid it had a bit of a lull. We had bigger problems, frankly, in our place, which yeah. was res- restrictions and a, a deadly virus making the rounds. Then, you know, there's always pressure on the health system, conversation continuing about that all the time. 
But housing is something that, and, and the opposition have said, I think wasn't it Holly Cairns that stood up in the doll during the week and said, you've said you can't solve housing overnight. You've been around the cabinet table for 10 years. Yeah. How many overnights it was, it was, do you Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly, I think, you made that night, that point. Yeah, you've been in, in government for 12 years now, Fine yeah. Gael, so um, how many overnights do you need? How many to, overnights to do, you actually, do you actually need? Which I think is, is an interesting point, but the politicking around this continues and Hugh O'Connell has quite an interesting little tidbit in the Sunday Independent um, where Housing Minister Dara O'Brien is telling constituents who have housing issues to contact a local independent councillor and not his own party colleague Senator mm. Lorraine Clifford Lee um, in a recent email uh, to a constituent seen by the Sunday Independent Minister O'Brien wrote that councillor Tony Murphy would be best to place to advise and liaise with the council on their behalf mm. and recommended that they contact him directly now of course we know uh, Senator Lorraine Clifford Lee would want to run in uh, Dara O'Brien's constituency mm. um, you know are there two Fianna Fáil seats there we're not sure but um, the politics not, not in the last continues. election there wasn't anyway no yes. uh, but yeah I mean I suppose you can make an argument that yes if, if you need somebody to engage with a local authority then someone who's a member of the Shannon may not be best placed to do so but yeah it can remarkable that he'd be going outside of the party fold when there is a senator based in his area who could potentially take up some of that workload um Tanya, a lot of other housing uh, stuff. Where would you like to, to dip your toe in in this ocean of coverage this morning? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that really jumps out to me, and, and we've talked about this on, on this show loads of times, is we still have like 12,000 lets, short-term lets, that are uh, that they should be actually long-term lets. And this, the government isn't investing enough capacity and resources into, you know, having serious penalties for people for letting a property that should be on the long-term rental market. I mean, the, it, it's an, an extraordinary position to be in where we, are, we the people are paying all this money to hotels to, to accommodate uh, people who are working who have jobs who ordinarily would never experience homelessness at the same time tourists are coming in and renting homes mm. basically at, at particular rates so We've, it's just completely dysfunctional housing market where we've allowed, I suppose, people to use houses as a way to make money. And, and, and that has been guiding public policy, whereas we need to change what, what houses are about. They're homes, they're a roof over your head. You can't enjoy many of your other rights without, without a home. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it, it's a range of different things need to happen, you know public building, shift the direction, control the institutional investors stop them competing and using every loophole to close the, the uh, different opportunities for, for ordinary people. But it is kind of shocking that you can be a working person in Ireland with the family and you can't find somewhere to live at the moment. Um, lots of um, messages coming in about this already. Paul says that your guest is wrong. Absolutely wrong. I don't know which guest um, but anyway, whichever guest it was is wrong. Absolutely wrong. Um, I'm an accidental landlord with one apartment. If Sinn Féin ever get into government I will sell it immediately and Sinn Féin can find somewhere for my tenant to live uh, says Paul. Uh, someone else says the housing vacated after the evictions ban will not remain empty because new owners and new tenants will find them giving new opportunities uh, to families and individuals. The point is not everyone who buys a property if it goes uh, up for sale now they're not necessarily going to keep it in the rental market but yes point taken if it remains in the market then someone else gets in there albeit perhaps at a higher price. Um, Someone else says Hi Gavin please don't get surprised about it being a threat about there being a threat of Sinn Féin getting into government that's driving landlords out of the market. As a small landlord with a below market 
market rent and paying high taxes. I'm still open to keeping the investment as some sort of pension income, but Sinn Féin getting into government makes me seriously doubt the feasibility of keeping it. And while I wouldn't evict my current tenants, when they move out, it is too risky to stay in the market when all of your rights will be removed for the populist policies of Sinn Féin, money tree free housing for everyone, um, says that texter who didn't sign their name. Um, I have heard, not to, um, to, to be a spokesperson for them, but because there has to be some sense of balance, uh, broadcast rules, lads, hello. Um, I have heard Owen O'Brien talk about the desire to have different tax treatment for, for small landlords so that there isn't the prospect of a landlord giving up 52 or in some cases 55% of their income uh, straight to the taxman before they're able to pay off the mortgage or anything else. Um, final one for now, there is more coming in, um, but I'll, I'll leave them for a few minutes. Final one now is from Ned in Leash, who said that if we had enough housing affordable and social housing bills, there would be no need for landlords. Fortunately, we have too many landlords in the doll, says Ned in Leash. It, it's a, a claim you often hear, Gabby, that the, uh, the because the doll is full of landlords, or proportionally speaking, that there's a higher percentage of landlords in the doll than anywhere else, that they tend to disproportionately favour the needs of landlords. Yes, and I think it is important to know the background of our politicians because they are the ones that are the legislators, they're the ones that are making the decisions. So if they, for example, own a business or if they are a landlord or if they live in a certain part of the country, they're going to have different views as opposed to other people that may be around the table. However, I think it is important to not demonise people who have, you know, gotten to a point in their lives where they've bought a property and they've said that property is no longer suitable for me I'm going to put it on the rental market and I'm going to go off and buy another one and you know we did see Robert Troy for example the embattled minister who resigned he had 11 properties he was I don't know if that categorises him as a small Mm -hmm. landlord you were just a landlord at that point but you know if that's if that's the work that he chooses to do, he should have a right to do that. I mean, and I also do think that there is a point to be made by a lot of the small landlords who are now exiting the market. A lot of them would have bought their properties during when prices were were, were a good, at a good point and they would have made those purchases as a pension investment. They have now gotten older and they have now said, do you know what, I'm going to cash in on my pension and I'm going to sell the property. And by the way, property prices are very, very high. Mm. So if you had a property there that you didn't yeah, need, that you weren't using, yeah. why not well, sell yeah. it? Like, like seen, on yeah, it. The, the yeah. daft report of the last couple of days that if property prices are now reaching yeah. a bit of a ceiling, that yeah. it's, it's going to yeah. be happening, this, time, this isn't is it? Why, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I, think, I, I think though the, the bigger reason, you know, and it's not, I don't think it's solely down to, you know, government uh, politicians owning houses because of course because they have to come to Dublin you do get a lot of them renting out their, their principal property as a result it's down to that poll that's telling it a story mm-hmm. you know half of pe- 51% of people with their mortgage paid off 47% of people with a mortgage actually think the eviction ban should be ended so if you're in Fianna Fáil you're in Fianna Gael those people are probably voting for you <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think that's what's driving some of the decision making uh, at government level and it's always a challenge you often hear people say why, why is Fianna Fáil going in this direction or Fianna Gael in this direction it's because they have these very elastic political parties mm. with voters from across the spectrum I, I think that is telling us the story we're quite divided as a country I think when it comes to property ownership mm. um, There's a piece on page 21 of the Sunday Times which is not about property but about politicians nicknames which I hope Gabby has brushed up on and I'm going to get her to, to prepare to, uh, to t- tell us about that in just a couple of minutes after I read a couple of more texts which again are saying um, that there are people who are planning to sell up because of the perspective uh, risk of a Sinn Féin government. Uh, my parents have a rental property in Dublin. It's been rented since they bought it. Never issues. Great tenants says this texter. And they've never put the rent up uh, excessively so it's well below market rates which is great for the tenants but they're 
selling this rental property ASAP because they are afraid of their lives that Sinn Féin will get into power next election and they will be stuck with the property. This is a real thing, says that texter. Someone else says, we are a greedy people and we always have been. That is the heart of the matter, says Michael. And final one for now. Message, using tenants to pay for your pension is everything that is wrong with the current situation. Housing as an investment is the driver of this stuff. And I think that texter hits on something because I think there is probably... um, there's probably a lot of people who think that rental properties, that the rental price basically covers the entire mortgage. I don't know if it does, but also I don't know if it's ever reasonable to think that the rent should pay off the entire mortgage. I think it's probably reasonable in some circumstances that there would the, the property owner would nurse a small monthly loss every month in exchange for having an asset that they can sell for a higher price at the end. But um, the way the market has gone, maybe we need to think slightly more outside the box and all of that. Um, before I do go to the cash machine, Gabby, that piece on page 21 of the Sunday Independent. Uh, what's in a politician's nickname? Uh, greased piglets and presidents known as Tiny. Tell us more. Yes, this is very good from Susie Dent. Um, So, look, of course, politicians do sometimes have nicknames. For example, Crooked Hillary, um, you know, Sleepy Joe, Lion Ted, Mitch Broken Old Cow McConnell. Some of their previous... Sorry, Broken Old Cow? Broken Old Cow McConnell. Yeah. Um, And of course, it comes down to, you know, what is is in a name? Um, Susie Dent, of course, we know from Countdown, you know, she's talking about nickname that began the 14th century as an icky name, in which icky means additional. But I think... What it means is that it makes us, it makes politicians, first of all, a joke, yeah. and second of all, more memorable. So if Stormy Daniels calls Donald Trump tiny. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of assumptions that you can make there. And um, we also know that, you know, speaking previously about our chest, I believe you referred them to as, as thunder and lightning, like very, very memorable things that make it all mm. a bit of a of, of a comedy. Thunder and lightning, God. and it it makes it a lot less serious than necessarily maybe it needs. Yeah. To be. Uh, we have a shortage these days, uh, Tanya, of politicians with kind of memorable nicknames, at least in this part of the world. There, there was a time when, when you'd be able to better remember TDs by the nicknames they had. There don't seem to be many these days. Yeah, the, I think in Ireland we poss- possibly mostly call people by their first names. And yeah. that's probably because, you know, we're very familiar. You, you might run into of, your... Of, of Leo yeah, or Michal or Mary Lou. Yeah. 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 Um, Eamon is Le- with us Leo, after 12. The, th- yeah. uh, the Taoiseach lives in my local area. And I remember when he moved in, um, um, my husband was up at the shop and they were saying Leo's, Leo's after moving yeah, in Leo. yeah. <laughs> he never spoke to her ever and I yeah. think that's part of probably our culture but the other thing all of those names are the success of very good political strategic thinkers and political commentators that's mm. where they come from they're used for marketing but they're also used to bring down their political opponents as well so yeah. maybe we just don't have the people here that are good at com- coming up with those names uh, Nicknames for prospective politicians please 87 1400 uh, we will only broadcast the non-libelous ones because we're not we're not made of money around these parts uh, Speaking of being made of money we've got some cash to give away Your chance to win big News Talk's Cash Machine there's wedding bells in the air for Shawla Kelly from Carlo. She is getting ready for her upcoming wedding and now she's got a little bit of help to do it because she picked up the call and won a huge amount of cash on Friday's cash machine. Over 1.2 million euro given away so far uh, on the cash machine in 2023. Really easy to take part. The cash machine this weekend has 10,817 euro and 99 cent. That's 10,817 euro and 99 cent. And all you have to do is text the word play and only the word play to 57557. That is 57557 if you get your entry in before 3 o'clock tomorrow answer your phone within 5 rings tell us the prize amount and you win the money once again 10,817 euro and 99 cent in the cash machine if you text 
play to 57557. Cost of €2.50 plus your standard message rate, over 18s only. You're playing across the GoLoud network of stations. Full T's and C's are on our website, newstalk.com. More from the papers with T- Tanya and Gabia when we're back after this. Uh, more messages from landlords who are getting out of the market. Uh, we have lovely tenants, so we haven't put up the rent in five years, but this will cost us when they leave, says one texter. No protection for landlords at all. And if Sinn Féin get in, we will sell immediately. Let's see how populist politics works out for them with no one to pay for all their yeses to everything. And Eileen says, Hi Gavin, we put our savings at the time to purchase a small second house for our retirement because the pension is small and no golden handshake. It's my pension top up, says Eileen, uh, who appears to be suggesting that she's not going to be hanging on to it um, if there is any danger to the financing of all of that. Um, 10 to 12 this morning on um, on the record. Gavin Riley with you uh, until one o'clock. Gabby Gadavitskita and Tanya Ward still with me in studio. Um, understandably, given the week that's in it, there is a lot in the papers about the report of the Independent Review Group into the culture in the Defence Forces. And to be honest, I don't know what there is to be said by way of introduction that people won't already have heard quite a lot this week. Um, so, Tanya, where in the, the mountain of coverage do you want to, to start dipping in? Yeah, I mean, can I just say it's one of the most shocking independent reviews of any public body in Ireland I've ever seen. It, it, it must be the worst one I've ever I've ever encountered. The fact that women and men aren't even safe working there. The fact that misogyny is an organising principle. But if you were to move on, and there's, there's some really important personal stories of people affected. And, and one of the ones was Ivana Rourke. And it's just even hearing the personal story of what she went through. That when she started off, they shaved her head or her hair so it matched the beret. That they she was subjected to abuse uh, uh, and, and name calling. And then she's drugged by a senior officer and raped. And then even down the line, when she's pregnant, they mark her as out sick and it affects it affects her promotional record. And then because she complains, then she's she's singled out, you know, like it's, a, it's absolutely appalling at all levels. But if you were, I, I'm, I'm sure that the Taoiseach Tanish, other people in government reading that report were also very concerned actually about the state of the Defence Forces in Ireland because there's a really interesting article by Colin Murphy in The Independent and um, it's an opinion piece but he brings attention to some other problems in the Defence Forces and it's in around their capacity and the kind of skills that they value. So one of the things he talked about, she lifted out was, you know, that soft skills are not valued. Physical skills are considered most important and intellectual capacities less important. Now, what's extraordinary about that, if you look at modern warfare and the kind of threats that face the country and face Europe, like, it's not physical might. I mean, like, the militarisation, weapons, etc., that's all changed everything. And we have a defence force that doesn't value people uh, based on intellect. And I think that's telling us we, we have a defence force that's not fit for purpose. But the other thing, you know, I, I minded, it, there's been massive changes across Europe in the numbers of women in defence forces. Ireland is down at the bottom alongside Malta with 7% of defence forces uh, made up of women. And of course, you could, you could see it now, there's, you know, you, you can see why we have so few women actually that go in and actually stay uh, in the defence forces. But if you look at the success of women, women can do everything men can do in defence forces. And in fact, there's some amazing examples of when women have done extraordinary work in defence forces. Even a recent example, um, and this has come from my husband, I have to say, who's into warcraft, is the Kurdish women's uh, 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 fighter group, and they were really, they were really successful in taking on. Uh, ISIS, basically. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's loads of examples of women in history. There was a, an elite 
bomber group, um, the witches in Russia, who were who actually terrorised the Nazis and the Germans. They used to switch off their their planes as they la- went down yeah. to drop bombs, um, uh, and they were like they were really yeah. good at flying these particular type of planes. So yeah. there's loads of examples in history of women that have been really important yeah. for the success of the defence forces. But we've a big problem here about how it treats ordinary people, and we also have a defence forces that just actually mm. isn't up to the job. One thing that does strike me about the, the culture of the defence forces that it does seem to be and I don't say this about the Irish defence forces specifically but there seems to be this culture or this presumption that if you ever enter into the cauldron of battle that there is still some physical element to it that you're literally going to be well, beaten. you need that, to be fit but you, Well you need to be fitness is one thing but that there's yeah. this, this idea that you need to be a man because only a man can battle someone else in the trenches that like war devolves that, into fist Yeah fights. and that doesn't happen when anymore because you're behind a gun Precisely. so you have to be yeah. actually being better at shooting it is more important um, than actually being ex- Well this is exactly someone. it um, yeah. Gabby you, you were covering the, the political reaction and fallout to all of this what strikes you from today's coverage? Yeah so I, I, you know the Sunday Dependent uh, lead story is um, this this idea of a booze ban in the Defence Force is being explored across all barracks so I was lucky enough to actually visit um Camp Shamrock in the Lebanon um, a couple of months back um, and alcohol is actually banned there and Mm. my presumption was that it was banned across all barracks not the case Um, you know senior government source saying we banned booze in the Lebanon after there was an alleged incident and might do the same across all barracks because spiking is very normal happens yeah. n- almost all the time, and I think the most stark Isn't that for me extraordinary enough. Isn't that's, that like that's wild. Well, yeah. Yeah. The stark thing about it is you'd be afraid to drink that, a glass of water around them because it might get <laughs> yeah. it might get spiked. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. You know, abuses in in the defence forces is part of the furniture, and Brenda Power does a really really good job of just putting into synopsis some of the most awful things people experienced. Neither men or men or women were safe. The reported behaviours existed for decades and they continue to exist unchallenged and unaddressed and sometimes are even rewarded. Female members are advised to keep two locks on their bedroom doors to stave off forcible entry. They have barricaded their quarters in some cases to prevent sexual assault. There are repeated and regular incidents of drinks being spiked, hidden cameras in showers and senior officers grooming recruits. A pregnant woman will find that important files go missing or get changed to discredit them. They will be subject to trumped up charges and baseless referrals for psychiatric assessment. Their leave will go cancelled at short notice. Gardaí will be sent to their homes to investigate groundless accusations and they will be physically assaulted with quote-unquote top cover provided by the head of the chain of command. Like, abuse is part of the furniture. It's embedded in the culture. It's not just, oh, well, that happened once or twice and, you know, we, we did our best. It happens all the time and it became almost accepted. Uh, I'm afraid that we, we've only got about a minute left in this so I need to kind of wrap it up but I suppose Tanya the final question that it begs is if it's such a deeply embedded culture then without changing everyone in the defence forces yeah. how do you do it do you, do you need yeah. to wait a whole generation for a whole new generation of cadets to, to rinse through before so that culture goes do, away Joe you know what made me think about was actually the RUC in Northern Ireland and, and what they had to do there was they had to get rid of 50% of the force to get the cultural change that they needed in Northern Ireland so, so this is the kind of radical change you need with the Irish defence forces and you're probably starting with the management and, and, and middle management mm. at, at the very least but you're, t- you're absolutely 
you're, you're, you can't wait for a generation. You actually have to shift half of the force if you're to take the example in Northern Ireland of how they turned yeah. policing in, in that part of the country. And it's, it's going to be going to be a big old job. Um, I'm afraid we're totally out of time, so we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you both very much for coming in this morning to have a look through the Sunday papers. Gabby Gedevitskita, political reporter with the Irish and Sunday Independent, and Tanya Ward, who's the chief uh, executive of the Children's Rights Alliance. On the record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.